I'm so excited to be here today with Lori Deschar. Lori is an alchemical healer, mentor, and teacher, and she has over 25 years of Chinese medicine practice experience, over 10 years as a senior faculty member at the Tri-State College of Acupuncture in New York City, and many years of teaching at institutes and retreats throughout the U.S., Canada, and the U.K., I love the statement of the goal of her work on her website. I think it captures something of where we're going to go today. The goal of our work is to help people develop a conscious relationship to their inner life, leading to a more meaningful, purposeful, and creative life in the outer world. That's from The Alchemy of Inner Work, which we will be talking about. That's her book. It's utterly fantastic. I met Lori not knowing anything about her work other than that she had had a profound impact on somebody that I cared about a lot. And the first moment I met her on Zoom, I felt utterly seen. And I knew that she must have a deep commitment to alchemy and to her own inner work to be able to hold that space. And then I came across her integral Chinese medicine conversations and my mind was blown. And I saw that we had a lot more to talk about. Uh, discovering her work in the world has been one of those joyous, unexpected surprises that comes from a world of pain that seems expressive of both of our work in the world. And the marriage of Chinese medicine and inner work has been a really rich ground for me as I regularly refer to Chinese medicine practitioners alongside the plant and the therapeutic work that I do. So welcome, Laurie. So good to have you here. Thank you so much, Allison. It's it's really nice to be here. It's I feel like we're sort of sitting together on this summer morning, and I really appreciate the introduction. I appreciate you pulled you kind of pulled out such a pithy piece about this idea of inner work and how it can support us in actually living more skillfully during turbulent times. That is a pithy way of saying it as well. <laughs> yeah. So, and I, so I really appreciated that. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad. Um, I, I, what comes to me now is, could you say what you mean by inner work? I'm aware, you know, I was having a conversation yesterday evening with two young people that my husband and I are really close with their young people. We really love um, I actually spoke at their wedding and I've known um, the young woman since she was two, you know, she's a little bit like my, my goddaughter, my second sort of other daughter. And they are in mid thirties and really grappling with those like questions of do we have kids? Do we buy a house? Do we want to live it in a different way than our families? And um, they were saying, you know, there's the there's the math part of it, which is the more scientific looking at how do we have a hormone? You know, we deal with reproductive drives. We deal with security drives. We deal with those basic fundamental drives that can be almost... Mm, neurologically or biochemically explained. And then we deal with the myths, you know, that we grow up with, the myths of happy, happy ever after, Cinderella, Snow White, you know, Sleeping Beauty, all these very basic myths that inform us. But 
in sitting with him, I said, you know, there's, there's a third place between the math and the myth. And that's this domain of what do our, what do we come here for? What do our souls come to inhabit, you know, these amazing vehicles? And I think that's for me where inner work comes in. Inner worth comes in between the math and the myth. When we actually bring the gift of our awareness, this amazing capacity that we have for self-reflection to bear on our lives, as opposed to just being driven by our biology or the sort of collective mythology is I become a more of a subject in my own soul exploration. So that would be at least a preliminary answer to your question. <laughs> I, I've never heard it articulated in such a way that I feel like there is such a felt sense to that. I think that we can feel the math and we can feel the myth and we know that there's more than either of those things and to be able to start to consciously locate ourselves in one of them seems and to watch us move between them seems incredibly valuable right because then although of course we're all driven by the math i mean we are biochemical neurological i mean that piece is also fascinating and wonderful and and of course you know, dealing with these big life questions or dealing with trauma is very helpful to understand that biophysiology. And then we're all driven by the myths. But I th the, the difference with inner work is that, as I said, I am no longer simply driven by these forces. I actually step into being the rider. Right. You know, and not, I would say, not not the I that is my will or my, you know, sort of power drive, but the I that is in contact with something that I call divine, you know, that there is a kind of divine mandate or um, support for our soul life here. Yeah. So that's, that's really where I, I think I center in that. Mm. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking, like I'm thinking of when I first experienced Chinese medicine and um, I, have an, I had a needle phobia, which fertility treatments kind of worked on because you have to have so many needles. And so I'd avoided acupuncture for a long time, but I'd sort of heard it was good for fertility and hormones. And I eventually, when I had a late-term loss, um, I was so broken. Uh, I was like, okay, nothing can hurt anymore. I'm going to try it. And I was going to Chinese medicine for, I wanted a baby. Like I wanted like math results. <laughs> and I came out of that first session, nothing, not all the therapy in the world helped me as much with my grief as that first session. And she was not like you. She was a very different practitioner. But um, I said to my partner at the time, I said, I feel like myself again. 
And so I've always seen Chinese medicine as having this other component, but it wasn't really until I started to get to know your work that I realized I wasn't insane and it actually is far beyond the physical. Could you, <laughs> I think some people are surprised that you, that Chinese medicine and the psychospiritual go together. Could you talk a little bit about that? I do. I think we're all surprised. I, I certainly was surprised um, the first time I got treated. I, I write about it in my first book, Five Spirits, and it. I went in kicking and screaming. I'm like, I mean, I was 28 years old. I was a sort of a radical feminist, eco-environmental activist, and and very much like, you know, my what do I need this for? There's nothing wrong with me. I'm just here to save the planet, basically, at the time I had those aspirations. And, um, but my friend who had gone this very early on, this was in 1978. I mean, it was just coming to, to the States and she kept saying, you have to try this. And I said, well, there's nothing wrong with me. And she, she I mean, I have headaches, I feel stressed, I have my skin breaks out, but there's really nothing wrong with me. And she said, it's not about that there's something wrong with you. She said, you you just need to try it. And so my first session, like you, this was my first visit, and I went in and what I write about, and I will never forget, we spoke for a while and I spoke about my frustration that things don't change faster and and different ways I was banging my head against brick walls and at the time going down to the Pentagon and thinking I was going to change people's minds this way. And she lay me down on the table and she inserted this one needle. And I remember the point. It was liver three, um, supreme rushing, which is about flow. Mm. The point, it's mm. spiritual nature's flow. And that point changed my life. And I loved what you said, the word, it, I felt like myself again. I feel like that's such a beautiful way to put the very finest, I would say the most uh, essential practice. Mm is that we support people and not their old tired self that got them in the mess that they're in, but the, the, the authentic self. So right from the beginning, you were aware of Chinese medicine as a psychological and spiritual practice then? Well, I, I was, yes, the, my, my friend uh, who had studied, had studied in England with J.R. Worsley who was my first teacher. Um, there's lots of streams of Chinese medicine that, that came over from mainland China at the time in the late 60s, early 70s. Most of that early streaming in came from um, the People's Republic of China, not the traditional ancient texts, which is why a lot of the thrust of Chinese medicine became more physical, more what we call barefoot doctor, treating pain, treating symptomatology, because Mao Zedong and the leaders of the People, People's Republic were not 
inclined to include the more psycho-spiritual aspects of the medicine. It wasn't consonant with the goals of the Communist Party. So the way it was translated early on was more physical, more material medicine. But there were these streams that came through, um, and particularly some of the early Jesuit translators of the texts and people who were at some of the people who left, the real sages who left or went through imprisonment during certain periods of time. But but the ancient texts that carry this deeper level of the medicine were gradually coming through. And my teacher, J.R. Worsley, happened to be someone who was very committed to bringing that more, that what we could say soul or psychological level. So my first treatment was more along those lines. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about that because it was when I knew you, but it was when I saw you post on Instagram, a YouTube video of the Integral Chinese Medicine Collective conversation. And I listened to this and it, it, it blew my mind because I, you know, from the psychotherapeutic side, this is certainly the type of conversations that make me most excited. And the idea that Chinese medicine practitioners were having very parallel conversations was incredibly exciting and powerful. And these conversations, they're like, I don't know, they're like symphonies or poetry or something like they're to be experienced. <laughs> So I'll, I'll put one in the show notes for everybody, but, but tell us like what it, what it, what is happening in these conversations? <laughs> <laughs> well, the background to that conversation is that along the way in my exploration, what I came to was that <clears throat> the invitation or opportunity of Chinese medicine is a soul journey is what you and I have been talking about, this return to the self or to knowing myself in an authentic way. That's one level. It's kind of a, what I could say, personal level. But what I also came to in my own work is that in a larger sense, one of the reasons that there was this tremendous upsurge of interest in Chinese medicine when it appeared on the scene, as well as yoga, as well as herbalism, other kinds of what we call alternative, that's a little funny terms. Mm -hmm. Some of these medicines are much older than Western medicine, but let's say alternative um, outside the collectively accepted medicine in, in the West is because they're ultimately catalyzing, I would say, a shift in our consciousness. The, the larger invitation is not just my personal um, illumination of self, but that there's a larger um, emergence of a shift in consciousness that is happening on a planetary level, which is taking us beyond what in the West or modern Western idea of the self begins and ends at the skin. I'm basically a, an, a, a math 
situation that can be analyzed with tools, with tests and research. And there's a finite kind of mm, package here that's me. Well, the ancient Chinese never saw it that way. This package that's me didn't really exist for them as separate from the entire cosmos. That I, that the, that the entanglement of my being with heaven and earth and all beings and the climate and the solar flares and the wind that we're all in this unified field of being. And when, say, you go in and feel a needle go into your, you know, go into your skin, and then there's this body felt sense of shift of, oh, wait a minute, who I thought I was just shifted. And I felt this movement inside of me, like I felt something come to life in me. It begins to disrupt the, the preconceived ideas that I, I have or my patient has about who I am. So this is a long way around to say that I got on this about, um, well, as I was writing Five Spirits 20, 25 years ago, mm. parallel to me, another practitioner, Lonnie Jarrett, who's part of the ICCM Collective, was also getting on this line, like, wait a minute, this medicine is bigger than we thought. It has the potential mm. to interrupt habitual thinking patterns that are holding us imprisoned in dualistic, causal, linear thought forms that are no longer capable of resolving the problems we're facing both the internal problems, but also the larger cultural and planetary problems. And so he paralleled to me and we knew we, we knew we were up to these things and we had a long history of, you know, antagonism and fascination and different conversations that happened. And, but finally, as we matured and got more sort of aware of who we were in the larger sort of collective of Chinese medicine really became collaborative. Mm. And we had a conversation and said, hey, wait a minute, there's a few of us here where this is our focus. Let's call together a kind of collective of those of us who are really standing for this deeper underlying movement of the medicine. And let's begin a conversation. So that was the birth of the inter Integral Chinese Medical Collective that, you know, we've been meeting monthly now for two years. Oh, wow. We only started sharing the recordings a year ago. Got it. Um, yeah. And so the notion of integrality is, is it's a term that's um, used in consciousness studies, but it's it's the, the movement, the eruptive movement, the emergent new way of being as opposed to this linear, isolated individual in a package. Integrality is looking at how are we actually all part of a field of transformation and how do we begin to access that field as alive, not just a concept. 
that's the piece. And I'm thinking of, you know, somebody listening to this who, you know, is really interested and also is really in the math, myself included, (laughs) in lots of moments. And when the felt sense is in the math, but yet we sort of know that there's more, how do we negotiate that? And I feel, Allison, that even as you and I are sitting here, that there's that sense. I mean, I really resonate to what you just said, that even when we're sort of in almost like entrenched or compressed into the math, which is how can we not be when we live in a culture that that is, that's its organizing principle, right? How much money do you have? You know, how, how big is your house? What kind of new refrigerator are you getting? You know, do you have whatever it is at whatever level? It's so quantitative. And to find a way to at least recover connection to these non-quantifiable aspects of being, to these more, the level of psyche, the level of the soul, that actual connection to spirit as a present illumination, not just some idea, but an illumination that is present. And one thing that's gotten clear to me is that none of us can do it alone. We're not meant to do it alone anymore. Yeah. There's obviously, as you and I both know, I think we're both, you know, we both have a, I, a certain kind of introversion. I know you well enough to know that about you and I as well. There is, you need that connection to self, that inner work, but then we also need these spaces where we can truly connect to others and we begin to create a culture that I believe is growing now that isn't, you know, that many of us are giving birth to these cultures where as, as communities, we're holding space for this other kind of awareness together. And you know, although I come from a background of fear of, I would say activism, political activism was where I began. You know, I think what be, what began to change for me from that first needle insertion was that our activism has to be grounded in a kind of uh, matrix of interconnection and depth and and trust in process. There's so much more than just banging our heads against the other who's wrong, you know. One of the, I love this, and it brings up one of my favorite metaphors for for this, um, which is Indra's net and the, the web of jewels and how by polishing our own jewel, we can reflect all the others and and to me it's one of the best metaphors i've seen for like the 
the value of the inner work to have the clarity to be able to see the other and then reflect back. And yet it is all in web. It's not like me first in the sense of like me over, but it is just as important to shine my jewel as because it's the only one I can shine really anyway. <laughs> so <laughs> so yeah. I wonder, I wonder about that. I also love that metaphor of Indra's net. I feel like, you know, this idea that the universe is actually totally interconnected that that my prayer that you know a prayer that i might sort of engage in or a meditation or a conversation that we have that the vibration of what we share heart to heart say actually vibrates out and has an effect even if it's it seems minute yes that that extends that that the web all the way through the universe just as a spider web you know when you it, the wind touches it or a breeze or the spider leg the whole web is moving in response and yeah so i think that piece, the realization that we can't, we cannot, we're not in charge of the, the timing or how or when, or, you know, as I said, my frustration and impatience when I was 28 years old, that things weren't changing fast enough, which I still feel. Because <laughs> I am a quadruple Aries, for those who know. I want it. I want it to change now. But, you know, this other way of trusting and just polishing those jewels. And, and as you said, I love how you put that, that as we polish our own jewel or our own mirror, that we are able to reflect that illumination in others and what that, if we all did that, mm -hmm. yeah. What if? What if? And it, I think it's very complex. It's very complex. I'm gonna bring in a thinker here that I wanted to bring in from the psychotherapy world to kind of bump mm. up against, because I, it bump up against, weave with. Um, his name is Jonathan Shedler, and he's not integral. I wouldn't say, but he is deeply committed to relational and depth psychodynamic psychotherapy in a culture where there's a lot of quick fix want desire from both, you know, the internal human desire for quick fix. He really advocates for this depth work over time, which is where my heart lies as well. Um, and often not well understood I think there's, like you said, there's nothing wrong with me. So why would I be in therapy for 10 years? <laughs> but actually, so he tweeted, um, might have even been, was it this morning or yesterday? He said the following, and he's pretty outspoken, but he said, a healthy, integrated, whole, flexible sense of self must develop in the context of relationships. All the self-help, 
and self-healing and self-care in the world cannot change this. The focus on self, self, self by social media insta-therapists is the disease it purports to cure. And I think there are complexities, you know, social media itself in the clip. I'm like, okay, that's a piece. <laughs> that's a good Allison, right? How do we, how do we ex yeah. escape the hall yeah. of mirrors? The but endless, I thought it was well said. Right. I thought it was well We're, said. Yeah, well. but that's good. The question that comes to me with that quote, and I really, I love the quote is that is which self is he talking about which self is the problem the self 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 and again if he's talking about the self that is mostly present on social media you know the self that quantifies the self that wants what it wants when it wants it um that counts the number of likes that counts the number of followers that self that's more tethered to what we call the ego or the will, the personal will, then I would say totally agree with him that that self is one of the, the problematic aspects, certainly of modernity and late stage capitalism and all of these areas that are driving environmental destruction, driving theft of resource from indigenous people. There's all of that, that level of problem. I do feel that the focus on the self, as opposed to what we were saying, the larger matrix of planetary need. Right. Yeah. But from where I stand, the self, the big sort of background self that is spoken about in depth psychology and in Jungian psychology and that I equate with the Tao, that background path um, that, that guides us, that I, I don't agree with him. I feel that being able to access that background matrix of guidance, of organization that's way bigger than the personal will is actually a necessary part of certainly what I call inner work. Yeah. So that would be my response to his, to that quote that you shared. And it, this is very interesting because he does go on. He says, for those who need further elaboration, and he has some more tweets, and essentially what he's saying is our sense of self is forged in the context of our earliest attachments. And we are internalizing um, both the self and the other. And he ultimately, though he says that we change in relationship, and so he takes us to a place of relating, he, he does not go to that the, the source that does have that matrix, that blueprint for life. And this is part of why I've stepped away from the psychotherapeutic as a licensed professional, because I was required to write treatment plans based on a model that did not honor the, 
the complexity and did not allow me to be humble to the mystery of the self. So I think this is, is a very rich conversation. So beautiful, Allison. Really beautifully put, exactly. Because so much of, well, certainly Western medicine or psychiatry and mainstream psychology doesn't include, well, I, your word, that mystery of the big self or what the Chinese call the Tao, that sort of background weaving principle that we can't know with our conscious minds. We can't, you can't make a treatment plan for what can't be known or planned that has to be um, lived into or known in different ways. The, the Chinese say the Tao that can be known, right? Or the self that can be known is not the true Tao or the true self. And when you said after that treatment, after that acupuncture treatment, or what I felt after the insertion of that first needle was not the small set limited self. Yeah. You know, when you say, oh, I feel like myself, or at least, you know, my understanding of what you were speaking to was, I feel reconnected to the mystery. And that mystery is unfurling with, it's unfurling within me. So the, the, the self or the, the great self that we're talking about can't be known with that, the limited conscious mind, but the, but the Chinese say it can be known. And they, the, some of the translation is through the mysterious feminine or through the dark valley. And they're talking about this, matrix of nature, that we are a part of the seasons and the movement of water and the movement of fire and these elements that flow within us, their mysterious wisdom. That's how we begin to know this other self or this mystery that is actually weaving us if we, if we open to it. That's so I really, I love, exquisite. yeah. And like what you're saying is, you know, yes, your background in psychology and your background as a psychotherapy, psychotherapist informs you, but then there was a place that that sort of container or egg or vessel of that model was too tight or too small. And I think that's where we're at. Even I would say as a species, as a, is like the way that we've been holding reality, the way we've been organizing the world is getting too small. It's not working anymore. Not working. And that there's a different way of organizing or thinking or being that's emergent in us, in you, I know, and, and in me. And that really is the whole thrust of the Integral Chinese Medical Collective and our conversations is, how do we begin to support the emergence of this other way, this other more integrated more way of being human? And that, yeah. to me, that's the question. And I, I find that, I find it actually a little bit frustrating sometimes 
Like if I get too into the challenges of people that that share their challenges with me, I'm like, but, 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 but that's, just, that's, that's like me uh, fighting something. It, it, I guess what I'm saying is I'm interested in your thoughts on the paradox between the seeing of how life wants to express itself through us and through the species and the, the, the collective change point that we're at and the impossibility of pushing mm-hmm. us along very much on that. Mm. Oh my gosh, I really hear you on that one. <laughs> I, I, that comes, yeah, it comes back to the question. I mean, I so, I so resonate with that, Allison. I really do. I, I, I think the thing that has helped me there actually does come out of, you know, one part of the work that I, my organizing principle in my work has been the world of alchemy. As you know, I call my work alchemical healing. I've really leaned into alchemy as a a way of looking at the world that supports me in moving into new possibilities. So alchemy was the way that human beings organized their their view of the world before modern science, kind of between shamanism and modern science. And Benjamin, my husband, Benjamin Fox, and I get into this quite a bit in our the book that we co-wrote, The Alchemy of Inner Work, looking at these different tools. He's an astrologer and we brought dream work and uh, meditation and shadow work and archetypes and flower essences and all these tools as ways to actually work with what you're talking about, those impasse points to move us beyond where we're stuck. And alchemy was very much about how do we work with the stuckness, the impasse points, to discover the gold that's hidden in those what feel like lead, what feel like stuck places. But to come back directly to your point there, one of the guiding principles of alchemy is that I am not in charge of the timing of these processes. All I can do, my, that, personal will, small self that we were referring to before that wants it when it wants it. All I can do is keep creating the conditions for the transformation to happen. I can keep choosing to live in a way that supports this process of change or in the treatment room, I can continually hold the possibility for that change for the person I'm working with. And I can bring every bit of my, you know, compassion and my empathy and the tools and my everything that's in me to support that new possibility or that change in the patient or the person or myself. But ultimately when that moment 
that transformative moment, that aha, that awakening, that's not under my control. And I've had to, that's something I come back to again and again, certainly when looking at the larger planetary uh, problems and issues that we're grappling with, that there's some greater wisdom than mine that's at work here. That's so beautifully said. That's so beautiful. I don't like that, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you mentioned um, in the inner workbook about all the tools. And this is something that I think is so strong about that book. And I'm definitely going to be linking to it. I really encourage people to read it. Is it interweaves the, the big picture that we're talking about with some very, very practical things. And I'm wondering, as we come to the end of this conversation, if somebody's listening and they're saying, oh, the math, the myth, and then something more, where, how would you suggest they actually begin to engage themselves? Well, needless to say, Allison, I mean, your work with the plants and your work guiding people in that way is, you know, I know all about that question. But even either, you know, prior to those kinds of engagements, for me, the, the, all the work begins, well, what I say is when we turn the light around. So it begins by inner work, by turning the light of awareness from, you know, my will-driven engagement with the sort of quantities and phenomenon of the outer world to begin to look within, to access the body and these other sources of information internally so that we can begin to relate to each other from those deeper places of knowing. And I will say, so certainly our entire site and platform, anewpossibility.com, which um, be very grateful for you to link to, um, that is the work of our community are those tools. And then um, a tool that I rely on and teach is called inner sensing, um, which is a way to begin to listen to the body, not just as a thing, not just as a math problem, but as a source of that mystery and of that wisdom that you've been speaking to so that we can move through transformation, we can move through tumultuous times such as we're in with this inner compass. Mm. And um, I'm going to be teaching uh, a weekend on inner sensing in the fall. So that's a, that's a very hands-on practical invitation for people who are interested Great. in that. I'm yeah. so glad you so mentioned that. I think that we're and both gonna... you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've got a delay, so I'm, I'll fix that up. But I'm so glad you mentioned that because um, I'm going to try and get the episode out a couple weeks before that fall uh, workshop. And uh, I'm going to be sharing it on my Instagram because I think it's a really great way to, to step in. Thank you, Allison. Thank you so much. 
Um, so yeah, I, because I feel like that work, I, I was going to say that that work is supports your work. You know, it's like they're they're very enmeshed. They're enmeshed. Um, to, to be able to engage at the level that you invite people, and then for people to actually have this grounding in their own bodies, feels really like a weaving, like this is the weaving that we're doing. And for myself, having others able to hold that space and support me in the weaving is both cosmically very important because we're not alone and to be psychotherapeutic, very important in the repair of the early ways that parts of me weren't accompanied. So it's multi-layered here. Um, I'm really, really beautiful. I love how our work, there's something about reading the same things you've come to understand from a completely different perspective that is so juicy and alive. So I love that. Yes, I so agree. I know that's the thing that that sparks us, right? It's like a spark. And then you're like, okay, I've got the juice and the cheese to keep going here. Yes, exactly. That's what we do for each other. That's right. That's right. So Lori, thank <laughs> you. Thank you for everything you are in my life. And thank you for sharing your your wisdom, your energy, your presence with the people who listen to this podcast. I'm incredibly grateful and I'm so excited for this episode. So um, thank you very much. Everything, the website. <laughs> well, the feeling is so mutual. Thank you for being you, Allison, and for doing, for being the, the spirit of healing and transformation that you are in the world. Big love to you. Love you and too. And we'll talk soon. We Bye for now. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye.